Let's take our Bibles at this time and we're going to turn to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we began last week looking at the first five verses of Philippians chapter 1 and kind of the greetings of of Paul to uh, this church that was so dear to him as he desired for them that they would experience the grace and peace that only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And and he, he spoke of... Uh, his prayer for them, and, and his thanksgiving, his gratitude for their fellowship in the gospel. Well, today we're going to continue in the next several verses, and so if you've reached Philippians 1 and you're able to stand, I would invite you to do that as we read verses 6 through 11, Philippians chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. The Bible says here, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Our Heavenly Father, this morning, I just want to ask you, Lord, that you would open our understanding to the truth of your word, that you would enable me to proclaim it as your messenger, that you would guide my, my thoughts and, and my mouth to think and speak only that which you would have me to say. I pray that everything that is said here today would be, first of all, true according to the word of God, but also pertinent to the lives of those who are hearing. Uh, Lord, it is your desire, I believe, to feed your people today, and I, I pray that you would use me to do that. Help me, Lord, to be able to preach to them and the things that you have shown me from this passage of Scripture. I pray that your Spirit would take these truths and really drive them home into our hearts. Help us to see their application in our lives as individuals, and Lord, help us to be doers of your word and not hearers only. And Lord, I want to also pray for any and every one who is here today outside of Christ. They've never been born again. I pray, Lord, that you would show them their need for Christ, and may they turn to him today in faith and be saved. We'll praise you for all that you do in your house and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Well, so far in this passage of Scripture, we find that Paul has been expressing to the Philippians his deep love for them and his gratitude for what God has done in their lives, but also the relationship that they now have in Christ. And that's something I mention quite frequently around here, but I think it always uh, applies that one of the greatest things about being saved is not just knowing that our sins are forgiven and we're on our way to heaven and that we have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, but that we enter into a family, the family of God. And we get to enjoy the fellowship of the gospel among what the Bible calls 
the brethren, children of God. And, and Paul is telling these people, these Philippians, how much he loves them. In fact, we even read that in our text that we read this morning in verse number 8. For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Sometimes in the King James Bible you find that phrase, the bowels. And, and we, we don't use that term in the same way today. We would talk about how deeply from our heart we love someone. But in ancient times they often referred to the, the, the stomach, you know, that feeling, that center of your emotions and feelings. And what's he saying? He's saying, I, I love you folks. From the, from the bottom of my heart, I, I long for you. I long to be with you. This really is something that should be on the heart of God's people, a desire to be with the brethren. I'm, I'm thankful that we can assemble together today. It brings me joy to be in your presence. It really does, and, and I'm just thankful for that. And so Paul is talking to these people, and as he kind of loads them with this expression of his love and gratitude for them, he also says in verse number 6, he says, "...being confident." of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He says, I, I, I'm confident of this. Now think about this for a moment. Paul's confidence in this was not simply like, like this understanding that he had where, yes, I, I intellectually know that God began a good work in these people and he is going to per perform it. The expression here, being confident of this very thing, it literally means this is what I desire to see in you. This is what I am hoping for you. This is what I am trusting God to do in your life. This would almost be like, maybe parents, you've done this with your children as you have expressed to them how proud you are of them. I think we ought to tell our children that we're proud of them uh, and, 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 you know, that we're thankful for them and, and, and that we desire good things for them. Maybe you've looked at your children and said, I believe that you are going to do great things. I believe that God is going to use you in a mighty way in your life. I, I believe that you are going to be successful. Maybe you've said it to your kids this way. I believe you can do whatever you put your mind to. And, and what, what is that? That's not just saying, uh, let, let me tell you a fact. I believe this about you. No, it, it actually is like we're, we're almost blessing our children and trying to tell them, listen, this is what I because of my love for you, I have this confidence and this assurance of just how the Lord is going to work in your life and how he's going to use you. That's what Paul is saying here. I love you and my love for you and my prayer for you gives me an absolute confidence that you are going to continue to grow beyond where you are today. I want you to notice some of the things that he says here. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you. What is he referencing when he says that, that God began a good work in them? Well, he's talking about their salvation. They have been born again. They have been made part of God's family. And the Bible describes that really as being the first step in our spiritual life. Uh, except a man be born again, Jesus said, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You, 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 can't, you can't know God, you can't grow in grace until you have been saved, until you've been forgiven of your sins, until you've been made right with God and restored to fellowship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's important to note here that he recognizes that salvation is a work of God in a person's life. 
He says that God began this work in you. He that hath begun a good work in you. Why is it important to note that? Because many people believe that somehow uh, we are saved by our own efforts. There are many people, multitudes, in fact, the, the most, most people in the world today, regardless of what religion they follow, it all basically boils down to this idea, do as much good as possible in your life so that in the end, when you die, you will have peace. You'll go to heaven or paradise or whatever it is, or in, in some religions, you know, you'll be uh, reincarnated as something better. And, and, but the, the general idea is, do good in this life so that you can prepare for the next life. But biblical Christianity is actually the opposite of that. Biblical salvation tells us, the gospel tells us, that there is no one who is good enough to save themselves. There is no way that we can earn position or favor with God, and there will never come a time in which we have done enough good that we are ready to die and enter the next life. That, that is not a biblical concept. Here is the biblical concept. We are all sinners separated from God, but Christ paid for our sins on the cross, and He died for us and made a way by which we can be restored to fellowship with God through faith in Him that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you can be saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. But know this, it's not you that saves you, it's Christ. It is Him and Him alone. First, or, uh, the, the, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, in verse number 12, it says, But as many as received Him, Christ, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. And the next verse says which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, this salvation is a work of God in your life. Jesus said in John chapter 6, that no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And the idea is there, it's not our own efforts, it's not our own labor, it's not even our own faith that makes us right with God. It is a work of God in our lives to bring us to salvation. Now, I'm thankful that through the gospel, He has made salvation free to all men. And He has made a way whereby whosoever believeth in Him will be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But understand this, if you have been born again, if you have been saved... The one who gets the credit for that is not you, it is God. God began a work in you at salvation. But the confidence is this, that not only did He begin that work in you at salvation and leave it to itself, but that He will perform it, that He will continue that work that He started in you all of those years ago or days ago, depending on where you are in your Christian life. Uh, I think of the fact that sometimes, and my wife and I have had conversations, uh, I'm a visionary type of person. I see what needs to be done. And I have all kinds of plans and ideas. But the problem is, sometimes following through and finishing those things takes a little bit more time. And, uh, and we have started many a house project that didn't get completed in the time frame that I had intended. And uh, maybe I'm not the only one. I hope I'm not the only one. But I have three phases. There's 
three phases of completion to home projects. There's almost done, and then there's done, and then there's completely done. Okay? Now, almost done is this. I've got it basically put together. There's just a few more details that I have to work out. Done is, I've got almost everything, everything put in place. But there might be some trim that needs to be put on or a, 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 a faceplate over a light switch, that kind of thing, those little things, you know, the little detail things. And, but it's done. It just, you know, there's a few little details that need to be worked out. And then there's completely done. <laughs> well, here's the thing. We might start a job and leave off. God doesn't. And when he starts a job, when he saves a soul, that work begins at that moment and continues throughout the life of that individual. And the reality is that the expectation for every child of God is that we should be continually growing in him and continually being changed and transformed into the image of Christ. If you are not closer to God a year from now than you are today, something is wrong. Because God is to be working in your life, and he's promised that he will. The Bible says, Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 18, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The idea is this, as you are walking with the Lord... Uh, there, there's going to be more and more light shed upon your life. I hope that today you are closer to God than you were the day you got saved. I hope that today you're closer to God than you were a year ago. Why? Because this is the work of God that He performs in our lives. He, he doesn't just save us and leave us the same. He begins in us a process of sanctification. Uh, it, it, is, it is a work of grace in our lives. It is the work of God. Just as salvation was a work of God, spiritual growth is also a work of God. Think about this with me. When you are a child, from the moment of birth until you become a fully formed adult, your body is continually growing, isn't it? It's continually changing. Uh, there, there are, uh, from, from the moment of birth, a lot of times there are, there are changes in eye color and hair color and different things. And then as childhood goes on, the body grows and develops. And then you reach that point of puberty. Boys, your voice changes a little bit. You're constantly growing. You're getting stronger. You're becoming an adult. You're growing. That's not a process that you work yourself. It's not like a lazy person doesn't grow. You know, boy, I've got to be diligent because I really want to grow. By the way, most of the kids aren't in here. They're in children's church. But we all know, don't we? The whole thing of eat your vegetables so you grow big and strong, not totally true, right? You're going to grow whether you eat the vegetables or not. Because it's not something that you do by your own efforts. It is a natural process that takes place. And anyone who is not growing physically from a child on up, we would say something is wrong there. There's a problem. Did you know the same is true in your Christian life? If there is no growth, that's an indication that something's wrong. Something's not right in your life because this is something that God does in our lives. Now, just like we grow physically, spiritual growth can be facilitated. I, I mentioned a moment ago, eating your vegetables doesn't make you big and strong. However, proper diet, 
proper sleep, exercise, these things do aid in the development of a child, don't they? We want to make sure they're getting good nutrition. We want to make sure they're getting good sleep, that they're getting enough physical uh, exercise and those kinds of things. Not because they won't grow without them, but those things do help to facilitate a healthy life. And the truth is, in our Christian life, the, the work of growing, it is a work of God. But there are some things that we can do to help facilitate spiritual growth. And the opposite of that is also true. There are some things that we can do to hinder spiritual growth. I want to talk to you about some things that we can do to facilitate spiritual growth. One would be learning to yield and submit to the will of God. That would be one of the first things we could do. Just learning to say yes when God speaks. One, one perfect example of that would be when, when we are in church and we hear the preaching of the Word of God and the Lord speaks to us about something, rather than being stubborn and hard-hearted about that and leaving unchanged, it, it's important that we learn to say, okay, Lord, I will allow you to make this change in my life. I'm not going to fight and resist and rebel against you. I'm going to yield and submit to you because you're my Father. Learning to walk in the Spirit, and we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but our theme for the year is to abide, abide in Christ. And what it means to abide in Christ is that we are really walking every moment in dependence upon the Lord to produce in us what He wants to do. And then, of course, just having that daily walk in fellowship with God, that reading of the, of the scriptures, reading the Bible and praying. I know it becomes cliche so often, but it really does come back to that. This is our spiritual nutrition. This is the food that we need to be feeding ourselves if we expect God to continue working and growing us. And I want you to notice also that he says in verse number 6, that this work of grace, this work that God does in our lives, is not completed until the day of Jesus Christ. Unlike physical growth, where we reach a point of adulthood, 18, 19, 20 years old, and our body stops growing, our Christian life should never be that way. We should never stop growing until this life is over and we are in the presence of the Lord. Sanctification is a continual process that, that, that lasts from the moment of salvation until we are wholly, perfectly sanctified in the presence of the Lord. Anyone who believes that they have arrived in their Christian life has been deceived. You are not perfect and neither am I. Uh, we, we do not know everything there is to know. We have not surrendered everything that there is to surrender. Uh, we have not uh, uh, matured and grown to the point where God wants us yet. We have not yet arrived. Uh, someone said it this way. This is an original me, but I liked it. He said, if you don't like me, he said, just be patient. God's still working on me. He said, I'm like a piece of, or like a loaf of bread that's been put in the oven. He said, it's still, it's not done yet. I'm still, God's still cooking. He's still in the kitchen, and I, I'm in the oven. But he said, one of these days, God's going to open that oven door, and he's going to pull me out, and he's going to say, well done. <laughs> but, but I'm not there yet. And that's the reality. We are not yet there. We have not arrived yet. And we need to understand that. You may be more mature today than you were, but I want you to notice, if you look at verse number 
verse number 9, he says, In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. The, the, the idea is that this would be a continual process of growth until the day of Christ. He mentions that in the end of verse number 6, until the day of Jesus Christ. He mentions the same thing at the end of verse number 10, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And that, <clears throat> that day of Christ is either a reference to the return of Christ and the rapture, or the day that we meet the Lord and are in His presence even through death. And so until that day, we are to be continually growing in Him. But can I ask you, what does it look like to be growing in grace, to be growing spiritually, to be becoming more Christ-like? Well, look at verse number 9, if you would. He says, In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. One of the areas that will become evident, uh, that our growth in Him will become evident, is that of our love. This is the first fruit of salvation, if you think about it. It begins with God's love being shed on us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8 that God commendeth His love toward us. That means He he demonstrates or He proves His love. That He commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That, That was where love began in our lives. Christ died for us. And then when we realize that and we accept Him as our Savior, the Bible says in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And so this love that He commendeth toward us now is invested in us. And when His love is shed abroad in our hearts, you know what the first thing is that happens? We reciprocate that love back to God. God has saved me when we realize what He's done for us. The first thing that happens to a new believer in Christ is we learn to love God. We love Him, 1 John four nineteen, because He first loved us. Think about it, a newborn baby. Who's the first person they learn to love? Mom and Dad, Right? Those are the ones who brought me into the world. They're the ones who nurture me and care for me and feed me, which is all babies care about, by the way. They don't care about your needs, do they? No. But as you invest in them, naturally and automatically there is a love that's reciprocated there. This this happens in the life of a Christian. When you get saved, you automatically love God. You don't love Him the way that you ought to, but you do love Him. You can't not love Him. You cannot be saved and not love God. You cannot be forgiven of your sins, restored to fellowship with God, translated into the kingdom of His dear Son, and not have some degree of love and appreciation for God. It's just impossible. And so God's love is shed on us, and then we return that to Him. But you know what else happens as we grow in Him? We begin to love the brethren, as I mentioned earlier. His people, that whosoever is begotten of Him, whoever has been born of God, would love others who are begotten of Him as well. That, That as we're born into the family of God, we naturally learn to love His people. But all of these things, this love is not yet perfected in us. 
I can say with some degree of confidence that there is no one in this room who fully grasps and understands the love that God has for you. I don't think it's, it's humanly possible to understand. It, the Bible calls his salvation an unspeakable gift. His love is not yet perfected in us to the point that we, we grasp and understand just how deeply God loves us. Some of the most profound words in the Bible are those that are most familiar. For God so loved the world. How did God love the world? Well, I mean, we can see it manifested through the sacrifice of his son, but we don't fully grasp it. We have not fully understood his love for us, and because of that, we do not truly love God as we ought. Jesus said the first and great commandment is that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and with all our strength. And yet so often we find ourselves putting other things ahead of God, don't we? We find ourselves uh, loving ourselves and loving other things more than we love Him. Our love is not yet perfected. And then because of that, our love for one another is not perfected either. And we have room to grow, folks. We have room to grow in the way that we love each other. We really do. But you know what? We're commanded to do that, and it's the expectation is that we would be abounding more and more, that we would be continually growing in Him and in love until the day of Jesus Christ. He says, though, at the end of verse number 9, that your love may abound yet more and more. And then he says this, in knowledge and in all judgment. That's another thing that ought to be growing in, in our lives is our knowledge, our, our knowledge of the Word of God. Uh, it's fine uh, for a period of time to be young in the faith and not have understanding. I think of uh, little Josie back there, uh, the McBride baby, and there are a lot of things about this world that she does not understand yet. And nobody faults her for that. Uh, we're not criticizing her because she hasn't learned her times tables yet, and we're not giving her trouble because she can't read yet, right? We understand that babies don't know everything, but there comes a point in life, right, where we should start growing in our knowledge, and we start teaching, and we start expecting growth and understanding, and, and this is also true of the child of God. It shouldn't be that we are saved for years and know very little of the Lord and His Word. I, I think it's sad that there are many people that claim to be saved and probably really are, that really have very little or no knowledge of the Word of God and really what it says. And, and their knowledge is based only on what other people have told them, it says, but they've never studied it for themselves, and they're not really growing in that knowledge. We're, we're admonished in Scripture, Second Peter 3 and verse number 18, it says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 14 and verse number 20, it says, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In other words, you need to be growing. You need to be maturing in your knowledge. Hebrews 5 talks about the, uh, the, the, the concept of when for a time we ought to be teachers. You have need that one teach you again. He says, I, I've fed you with milk and not with meat. I can't yet feed you the diet that you need 
because you have not grown in your knowledge the way that you ought to. And so we are to be growing in love. We're to be growing in knowledge. But notice also we're to be growing in discernment. He says at the end of verse number 9 that you abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, verse 10, that you may approve things that are excellent. In other words, God wants us to have good discernment, good judgment from the Word of God. Now, I hear people say, and I'm sure you've heard it before as well, well, Christians ought not to judge. You know, that's not actually biblical. God tells us to be judges of things. Now, that doesn't mean that we are to be judgmental of other people and critical of other people, but it does mean that we need to exercise good judgment when it comes to understanding truth and error, right and wrong, good and evil. We should be able to recognize and see the difference. But sadly, today, many Christians do not have that discernment that God wants them to have. You see, Satan is very intelligent. And our enemy, his primary tool is that of lies. Jesus said that Satan is a liar from the beginning, that when he speaks a lie, it says he speaketh of his own. That literally means when Satan is lying, that's when he's speaking his heart language. That's, what it's, that's literally what that means. He is speaking of his own when he lies. He is a liar and the father of it. So don't be deceived into thinking that Satan is just this guy in a red suit and a pitchfork with a tail that's going to come to you and tempt you, and you're going to be able to identify it off the bat. The Bible says that he's transformed into an angel of light. And most of Satan's lies, the reason that they're so uh, uh, dangerous and so readily received is because they sound right. And they sound good. And any good lie is wrapped up with a whole lot of truth and a little bit of error. But you see, a little bit of error, error is still error. And this is what Satan likes to do. He deceives people by making things sound good. Did you know most false teaching out there today sounds good? You cannot accept anything and everything that claims to be Christian. I want to encourage you, you know, be careful about what you find in the Christian bookstore. Be careful about what you find, what preachers and Bible teachers you find on YouTube. I'm just saying there is a lot out there today of poison that's mixed in with a lot of truth and a little bit of error. We had, I grew up around the dairy farm. I remember one summer we had a major problem with rats. We couldn't, we couldn't get rid of these rats. They just multiplied for whatever reason. I mean, they were in the grain room. They were all over the place. And it seemed like there was nothing we could do to get rid of them. It was an infestation. And finally, one day we had uh, uh, someone from a pest control company out. And he said, here's what, here's what I would recommend you do. He said, I want you to take bowls or some kind of container. Put it around the property and fill it up with Coca-Cola. And in that Coca-Cola, you put just a little bit of poison. And what's going to happen is those, those rats are attracted to that Coca-Cola because of the sugar in it. They'll come and drink that, and then they'll be poisoned. And you know what? That was pretty effective. There's a pretty good illustration in there. 
a little bit of poison in something that otherwise tastes good and seems good is still poison. And so we've got to be careful and we have to be discerning and we have to use good judgment. But that's something that comes with wisdom and we would like to say wisdom comes with age, but age is more than a number. Wisdom comes by experience and according to Hebrews chapter 5, strong meat belongeth to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, you know how you grow in discernment? Get in the, will, in the Word of God. Study the Word of God. And everything you hear, compare it against the Word of God. And the more that you do that, and the more that you judge things based upon the Word of God, the more discerning you will become. And the more quickly you'll be able to recognize error and truth. But this is something that we ought to all be growing in. God doesn't expect you to be perfect in this area yet, but friend, I hope that you have better spiritual discernment today than you did a year ago. I hope that you are growing in Him. And then notice also verse number 11. He says, "...being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God." He says, I want you to grow in your love and your knowledge and your judgment or your discernment, and to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Now, when you think of the fruits of righteousness, for, at least for me, the first thing that comes to my mind is the fruit of the Spirit. And Galatians 5 identifies what that is, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and all of those things are, uh, should be evident in the life of a believer but not only do they need to exist in our lives, but notice he says that you would be filled with these things. Can I ask you this? Can others see in you that you are filled with the Spirit? Is it obvious that the fruit of the Spirit is a reality in your life and it is something that is growing and abounding more and more? Day by day, month by month, year by year, you are growing in Him. Listen, these, these are things that should just be natural for the Christian. We should be naturally growing in Him. So here are the questions. Are you becoming more like Christ and less like the world? Can you honestly say in your life that you are more like Christ and less like the world than you were when you got saved? You see, carnality and discipleship don't go together. I don't follow Christ and continue to look and live and act just like the world. I actually, as I follow Christ, become more and more like Him. Are you growing in Him? Maybe the, a better question would be this. Has that work begun in your life? Has there ever been a time in your life where not by your efforts, not by your religion, but by the grace of God, you were born again, you were saved? Has there ever been a time when you realized that you were a sinner, separated from God, that you needed His grace and forgiveness, and in repentance you turned from your sin to Him? 
you called upon him and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ to save your soul. Has that happened in you? Have you been born again? If not, can I say this? God wants to begin a good work in you. He wants to save you. He wants to make you right with him. And then he wants to begin working in you or continue working in you to make you more and more like Christ, growing in grace, growing in love, growing in knowledge and judgment, being filled with the fruits of righteousness.